Sir Michael Costa was a renowned orchestra conductor in the 19th century. And the story is told of one day he was a conducting a large orchestra, and along with the orchestra rehearsing was a large choir. Have any of you ever heard an orchestra and choir together? It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And as the orchestra was playing, and as the choir was singing, and the sound was filling the room, there was one member of the orchestra who had some technical difficulties and decided that it wouldn't really matter too much if, if he just stopped playing for just a second to adjust. And he was just playing a piccolo after all. He was just a, a little tiny instrument. And as he stopped playing and, and began doing his thing, all of a sudden, Sir Costa, he threw up his hands and he said, Stop, stop, where's the piccolo? Where's the piccolo? You see, to his trained ear, he immediately knew when even the smallest instrument was not playing in harmony. Even though the choir was singing and the rest of the orchestra was playing, in that great mass of instruments and voices blazing away, that piccolo had an important part, and he needed it to be playing. And sometimes I think we feel like that player, don't we? We feel like, well, you know, uh, we, our part isn't that important. Today we're going to be looking at the body of Christ. We're going to be looking at how we are all important. And we all have a wonderful privilege, a wonderful privilege. In fact, it's so wonderful that it's even referred to by the apostle as a mystery. A wonderful privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, I think today we have a society that has been infected with radical individualism. You know what I'm talking about? We want to be our own person, and, and we, we've, we've created our own spheres and our own virtual relationships. I honestly, I honestly have a lot of concern for future generations who have grown up without a, 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 a society around them, a, a, an association of friendships and accountability in those friendships. We live in a day when if you don't like what a friend says to you, you can unfriend them. You don't have to talk to them. We live in a world where we are friends with people that are hundreds and thousands of miles away. Now listen, I'm not against any of those things, but there's something about an organic relationship the way God made it, face to face, not Facebook to Facebook. You heard what I said, face to face, not even telephone calls, but face to face. God made us in association. God made us in relationships, and God created and gave us the gift of the church to help us in this way as well. And so today we're going to be talking about what it means to have, uh, to be a part of the body of Christ. Sociologist Robert Bella calls it radical individualism, concentrating on personal obedience to Christ as if all that is, matters is Jesus and me. Have you ever heard of people like that in the Christian faith? 
they have said, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm a part of a church. It doesn't matter if I worship with others. What matters is my relationship with God. And I want to be very clear to you today. I believe that salvation is a personal relationship with Christ. I don't believe that we are saved by going to church. I don't want anyone to come away with that misunderstanding of what I'm going to say to you. But I believe that God in His infinite wisdom not only desires a relationship personally and individually with us, a relationship that is so distinct and so personal and so real, it's as if we were the only person for whom Christ died. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Wonderful, beautiful truth. God wants that relationship, but in His infinite wisdom, He not only desires that relationship, He desires to put us in the midst of other relationships whereby we can gain advantages in growing in Him. Amen? And those, those relationships include the family. God placed us in relationships. We are born. It's not just a biological action, uh, accident. It's not just an evolutionary mistake. We are born into a family. We're born into a family because that's where we have to work on our relationships. And as we learn to have relationships with people, we learn to have relationships with God. And, you know, some of us, we maybe, you know, there are orphans, there are others that don't have families. Listen, God has another family. He has the church family. And He puts us in these relationships so that God can use those relationships to help save us. Now, I'm not saying that salvation is through those relationships. What I'm saying is they give us advantages. And God uses them in our growth, in our, in, our, in our relationship with Him. And so while we can be saved individually, if you are the only person lost on, a, on, a, on, a, on an island in the middle of the ocean and no one else around, you can be saved by God's grace. Amen? Our salvation is through Jesus, but God places us in places where we can have advantages to grow in Him. And you know what? There are some people who seem to say, and I don't know that they'll actually say this out loud, but they seem to say, you know what? I know about this advantage that God has given us and that advantage that God has given us, but I don't really need those advantages. I'm fine. And I would say that the, the person who thinks they don't need every advantage to be saved in God's kingdom is probably the person that needs those advantages the most. It's dangerous ground. We need, we need every advantage we can have in order to be saved. And so let's just open our Bibles here today. I want us to look at a couple of passages from the Bible. First of all, we're going to talk about this, this body as being headed by Jesus Christ. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a theme that Paul the Apostle repeatedly refers to. And um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I love the sound of the pages turning in the Bibles. I love to be studying to God, together God's Word. And um, today, I, uh, I want us to start with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, And has put all things under His feet, and gave Him, that's Jesus, to be what? <clears throat> the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. This is an amazing thought. Paul is saying, look, it's not as if the church is just the. It's not as if the church is just a body, and it, it, it might even be more than saying the church is the body. He says the church is his body, Christ, who is the fullness of all in all. Isn't this amazing? And the head is, is Christ. He is the head of the church. Let's continue on a, a few chapters later in Ephesians chapter four and verse fifteen. Ephesians 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, that's Christ, 
in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The head of what? From whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so Christ, again, is the head of the body, and, and we are to grow up in love, speaking truth one to another. This is relational, right? We're not, just, we're not just to be off on ourselves believing the truth, but instead sharing and speaking to one another in relationship, we are to grow up into all things into Him. That's the head, uh, Christ. And uh, that's His purpose for us. Let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And this is speaking again of Christ. Uh, we'll begin with verse 15 for context. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. By, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, invisible, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so this is the picture that begins to emerge as we look at this body. The body is just not a body. The church is not just, a, you know, a group of people. It is a very important body to Christ, right? It is represented not as a body or the body, but His body, specifically. That's how close Christ unites with His people. That's the privilege that we have, and it's also the mystery. It's also the mystery. You know, I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful that some of my family can be here today. Amy gave the children's story. My sister, my brother, John, and sister Jill are here and their kids. Family is important. Family is important. And we love our family. And sometimes it's easy for us to understand that we love our family and, 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 and they're very close to our hearts and, and we, we, we miss them when they're not there and we look forward to seeing them and we enjoy, enjoy their presence. But sometimes it's hard for us to realize that Christ's relationship, yes, it's, it's, it's illustrated sometimes as family. He's our older brother, right? But it's much closer even than that. The relationship that Christ wants to have with His church is so intimate and personal that it's not just represented as a family member, but that relationship is represented as being a part of Him Himself. Isn't that an amazing object lesson? Isn't that an amazing description of what God wants to have? The relationship He wants to have with His church? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19 Colossians 2 and verse 19. Again, we're looking at the head of the body and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and the knit together increases with the increase of God. So Jesus is the head and the rest of the body has to be united. It has to be working together. That's God's purpose, God's will for us. Um, in fact, that's what God wants for us. Um, if we continue on, we can see some other amazing passages. I wanted you to stop. Um, we're going to look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 real briefly, and we're going to come back to Ephesians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see it in the way Paul addresses the Corinthians. So this morning we're looking at the body of Christ and how the church is meant to be the body of Christ. This afternoon, our continuation of the seminar after our fellowship meal today, 
Um, this is our We Believe Weekend. Third Sabbath of every, week, every month, we have a, a, a presentation for the uh, church service and a follow-up in the afternoon, so you all are welcome to join us. This afternoon, we're going to be looking not just about how the church is the body of Christ, but how God wants us to function as a church today. And I've entitled it, Why I Believe in Church Organization why I believe in church organization. But we're going to look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to see a couple of verses here in verse 15 and onward. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Do you not know that he who is joined to an harlot is one body? For two says he shall be one flesh. In marriage, we are called one, right? Two shall be one. This is what the, this is what the, the Bible teaches. But it says, he that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. Isn't this amazing? What God is saying is, when you join yourself to Christ, you become a part of His body. You become a part of His very flesh and bones. And is God going to be joined? Is Christ going to be joined to an harlot? No. And so what Paul's trying to say here is, look, you can't just go on living the way you always lived, assuming that you can live in your sins and enjoy your sins. No, Christ is not going to be in an in a, an adulterous relationship. He's not going to be in, with a lover who is going out and, 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 and rejecting him and, and cheating him. Now, he wants, he, he wants us, he loves us, right? But we have to make a decision. No man can serve two masters, right? And so Christ is inviting us to be joined to him, to be united with him, and to part ways with our old man, with our life of sin. Because Christ is... He is the essence of holiness and purity, and He wants us to be joined with Him in one. Paul addresses this also. I think this is what he's referring to when he talks about the great mystery. Let's look there in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And then we're going to be moving on from, from this to some other ways of looking at the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. And you know this passage is talking about husbands loving their wives even as Christ loved the church. And we'll start with verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. And notice with me, go on, and he says, um, for no man ever yet, verse 29, for no man ever yet hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that when Christ accepts us as part of his body, he then nourishes us and cherishes us. He's long-suffering with us. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that that is the truth. And he says in verse 30, we, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great what? It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The greatest mystery of all, my friends, is that Christ would see something in me worth leaving heaven for and coming down to this earth to try to win my heart and affections. To try not only to respond to me when I seek Him, but to be the active agent to, to search for a relationship with me. A relationship that is more intimate than anything we can experience in this world. That is a mystery. What does Jesus see in me? 
He could have created a thousand worlds filled with people better than me. But why? In His infinite wisdom, in His foreknowledge, did He look down from heaven and, and see you and see me and say, I will do anything. I will do anything to have a relationship with Chester, with you. Even though his heart is wayward, even though he's rebellious, even though he's, he doesn't even know the capacity of my heart to love him, I will do anything, even if it causes me extreme suffering and pain, and it has, I have. To win my heart, Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his own life. All because he wanted a relationship. We serve a God who's an amazing God. And if you think relationships don't matter, you better think again. Look to Calvary. The cross of Christ teaches us that relationships matter. Jesus could not just unfriend planet Earth. Oh, he could have. He could have created another one. He could have found another one. But there was no such thing as an expendable soul to the heart of Jesus. Relationships matter so much to God that He would die to save them. And that's a lesson for me. It's a lesson for you. I want to ask you a question this morning. Why do you come to church? We have various reasons. But is, it, but is it because you desire to fulfill God's purpose for you in relationships that you might be saved through a relationship with Him? How committed are you to relationships that He has placed in your life? You know, sometimes, sometimes our closest relationships can be the most annoying. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah? No one has the capacity to, to make us happy as the people who are close, or to make us hurt like the people that are close to us, right? And no one has the capacity to annoy us like the people we have to see day in and day out, right? And, um, it, you know, I'm thankful that Despite the challenges in relationships, we learn to love each other nonetheless. But if you've ever, you know, when your brothers and sisters, when your kids, you've seen them, right? They squabble, they fight, they, they're annoyed with each other, the whole world is revolving around them in that situation at that time. And that's the way we tend to be also, even in the church, you know? And what God wants us to see is that while there may be hiccups along the way and challenges along the way, the main point is relationships. The main point is he's trying to teach us to be committed as he is committed, to love as he loved, and to demonstrate to the world, by, all, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by what? By the love you have for one another. Are relationships important to Christ? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And so, I believe that this is a wonderful, marvelous mystery that God has revealed to us. Notice with me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the passage that our scripture is taken from today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to notice what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. And this is a very interesting thing, just to give you a little bit of a, a heads up, you know. Um, 
it's not as though the church in Corinth were all wonderful, perfect people. In fact, there were some serious sins and even some church discipline that needed to be dealt with in Corinth at times. But Paul addresses them as the saints that are in Corinth. Do you think of yourself as a saint? Hopefully not, actually, but you are, okay? Um, God refers to those who are striving for His kingdom as the saints. Paul refers to them as that. It doesn't mean that you are perfect, except in Christ. What it does mean is you have been set aside for a holy use. You have been sanctified for God's purposes. Notice with me in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because there were some issues. There were some issues he talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. There were heresies among you. There were some, uh, some practices that shouldn't have been right, dealing with the Lord's Supper and other things. Um, there were some problems that Paul's trying to address in his letter to Corinthians. And actually, 1 Corinthians, we believe to be 2 Corinthians, because Paul in 1 Corinthians refers to the previous letter he already wrote to them. For some reason, it wasn't deemed... Um, necessary to be part of the biblical canon, but we're actually reading 2 Corinthians now, and 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. I don't know if you realize that, but look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians, all right? And um, that's at least what it says in the Bible. And it says here in chapter 12, he's talking about, after having addressed to some of these problems, he's talking about, he's talking about the body. And notice with me in verse, um, let's just look at verse 11 and onward. But all these works that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, verse 12, and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So Paul, Paul is saying this, look, he's reminding us that the body has different parts. We have hands, we have feet. Of course, if Paul were a a doctor today, he would know a lot more parts than probably even he was aware of at the time, right? And he would know that there are some parts that do things that um, we, they don't have so obvious functions, but they're very important nonetheless, right? And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the different bodies, parts. And he says, verse 13, for by one spirit are we all what? This is very important because there are some people who, some people who feel that, feel that um, baptism and Church membership should be completely separate, but this is a biblical teaching, and not just here, but elsewhere. We're baptized into the what? When do we join the, the body of Christ? Through baptism. That's very, very clear. We're baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink of, into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What if we had a body that was entirely made up of eyeballs? Or ears, or tongues? Woo! You see, my friends, God, God is wise, and He knows that we need many parts in the body, all working together to be effective and to be healthy and to be able to function and survive. And the same is true of the church. But evidently, there are some people in Corinth that said, you know, what I think is really important is this ministry. What I think, others, what I think is really important is this ministry. And others had a, a third ministry altogether, a third idea altogether, and they couldn't see that they were all right that God gives different people different gifts and different burdens. 
And because you may see it a little differently than I, doesn't mean that you're wrong and I'm right. It doesn't mean that one of us is expendable. What would, when one of us would be expendable if we were, all, if we were identical, right? It's like the, the husband and wife, they were talking about how they sometimes disagree. And um, I forget who said this. And they said, look, if we always agreed about one of us, about, about everything, one of us would be redundant, Right? We wouldn't need, you wouldn't need a second person in the relationship if you were identical. And the same is true in the church. If we had all the same gifts, the same burdens, the same perspectives, we wouldn't need each other. But God places us not as a whole body in relationship with Him. He places us as a bodied part in relationship with Him through His church. Are you with me? This is His plan. This is His purpose. Not so that well, we can be the answer to everyone else's problem. No. We need everyone else too. We need other people. Now, some people have a more visible role than others. Some people have more, you know, it seems like they're more important. But every single person has a function to play in the body of Christ. And the body is only healthy when all are working together. We need each other. I'm going to look at several uh, responsibilities that come to us as a part of the body of Christ. As a part of the body of Christ, we are called to promote truth and unity. Ephesians 4 verse 25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We, are, we have an obligation because of that to be careful in what we say, to promote truth and unity through what we talk about. As part of the body of Christ, we are called to service. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11 outlines the different gifts that God has given, the different spiritual gifts that God has given. And your gift, my gift, is unique, and it is equally important with everyone else's. It may not always get the same attention everyone else's gets. There are, there are some people that are working in the background, but I want to tell you something. They are just as important as the people that you see and you hear from the front on Sabbath morning. The church would not function without it. We would not function to be able to reach the world. And, you know, I, I, just, want to, I just want to express now how I believe. You know, I appreciate so much the many deacons and deaconesses and potluck crews and, and, and everyone who's working behind the scenes to make this family what it is. Your ministry is absolutely essential to the blessing, the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. No matter what that is, it may seem like, well, you know, I just do the same thing, I just come early and leave late, and no one really appreciates me. Listen, Jesus appreciates you. And Jesus knows your... Listen, Jesus said it this way, don't do your alms before men to be seen of men. You know, when you say prayers, when you fast, don't, be, don't do it so that you're seen. He says that's what the Pharisees do, and they already have their reward. And to you whose gifts are not as public and whose thanks are not as frequent, I want to say your reward is coming. Those of us up front, we already have our reward. In a sense, we already receive the, the gratitude and the, and the thanksgiving and the appreciation, but someday you're going to hear the word said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. And that thanks which you didn't receive here, Jesus himself gives. Which would you rather have? The praise of men or the praise of Jesus? 
All of us are important. And what's important is not that people appreciate us. Sometimes you get discouraged in the body of Christ because people don't appreciate us. In fact, people even may take advantage of us. And they abuse our, our gifts and our giving and our giving and our working and, and whatever. And we just want to throw up our hands. Listen, it's not for them. It's for Jesus. And while we may not be appreciated and we may even be taken advantage of, the important thing is that our heart is pure with Jesus and that our work is done for Him. As part of the body, we've been given gifts. We've given abilities. We've been given talents. We've been given resources. Let's use them for Jesus. Let's use them to build up the body. It is essential to the body that you use your special gift in service for God. As part of the body of Christ, we are called to share Jesus. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. As part of the body of Christ, you and I are called to share the gospel with others. Now, it may not be all through the same way. We may not all be preaching sermons or standing on the street corners or, or writing books, but all of us have some gift that we can use to help share Jesus. We have some ability to tell others of what, at least, at least to tell others of what Jesus has done for us. That's the most powerful witnessing we can ever accomplish. No one can argue with your testimony. No one can say it's not true because you have experienced it for yourself. You know Jesus. You know what He's done, what He means to you. And so each one of us have an opportunity, whether it's in public or in private, in one quiet way in writing or in verbalizing or just in the way we keep our, our yard. We show people what Jesus has done in our lives. And we can witness. We're called to share others. As part of the body, we are called to worship. And I enjoy so much coming together and worshiping with you, you God's people. I enjoy the fellowship and the worship that we experience here. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. What a wonderful opportunity we have to worship together. As part of the body of Christ, we are called to love each other. This is sometimes not the easiest thing, but 1 John 4 and verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I'm glad that Paul prefaces it the way he does, or John prefaces it the way he does. He doesn't just say we ought to love one another. He says, since God so loved us. In other words, the only way this is ever going to happen, the only way this is possible, that we could actually love one another and give ourselves for one another and minister for one another as one part of the body helping another part of the body, whether we're appreciated, whether we're abused, whether we're taken advantage of or not, the only way this can happen is if we keep our eyes on Jesus and how He has loved us. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, we need to keep our eyes on the head. He's given us our example. He has loved Chester with a love that would not let me go. He has loved me, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. He's loved you with that as well. And when we see the love of Jesus, we our complaints begin to seem petty and trivial. Honestly, I remember as a teacher, there were some times when I would begin to complain to God. 
You know, I spent 15 years teaching high school students, and um, I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a. It was. It was my. I was my, it was, it was, I was very privileged to have that opportunity. Wonderful, wonderful students. But they're students, they're people, and people are people, right? And sometimes I would start taking, uh, having pity on myself, you know? Have you ever had a pity party? Um, and I would be like, you know, why don't, they don't appreciate me. They only, they, they only care, they, they, they only, they only, all I am is convenient, you know? Um, it, it's like, it's like if, if they need me, they start, oh, you're such a wonderful person, you know, you're my favorite teacher, and, you're, and can you help me with my math? And if they don't need me, they never think of me. You know, you just want, you want to be appreciated, you know, and sometimes it even came to the point where I felt in certain circumstances that they were taking advantage of me and my gullibility, you know what I'm saying? And I would be like, look, I'm a person, all right? And then I would realize, when do I usually pray? I mean, really pray? It's when I need something, right? They're no different than I am. How, what do you think God feels like? We, we, we forget He exists when everything's going well, but when we get in trouble, oh God. We, and you know what? The more I turned my eyes towards Jesus and remembered what I've done to Him, the more I couldn't complain about what people did to me. Because I've probably done worse to God than anybody's ever done to me. And God loves me still. And He gives Himself for me still. And He forgives me still. And since Christ has so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to have that love and compassion for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25 says it this way, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let me tell you, friends, let's be honest. That's not human nature. That only comes from a heart transplant and a relationship keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because you know what human nature is? And I don't care. I don't care who you are. You can say whatever you want. There may be some exceptions in some circumstances. But human nature is when someone else is suffering, I'm glad it's not me. You know? Someone else's mother's crying. Um, I'm glad. It's not me. When someone else is honored, human nature is, we're jealous. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Is this what happens even in a church? Even in a church, is it, 
Is, it a, is there a tendency, because we're humans and our human nature shines through, is there a tendency sometimes for even there to be bickering and squabbling and jealousies, even in the church? If this were true, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, if that was the actual experience that all the members of the body had, there would be no bickering and no jealousy. There would be suffering. When, when anyone suffers, we all suffer. When anyone is honored, we're all happy because we're all part of the same body. It's not them and us. It's us. The church is not made of a member, but members. A marriage is not made of a bride, but a groom and a bride, right? An army is not made of a soldier, but soldiers. And a church is not made of one person. A church is made of all of us together. That's the plan that God has for us. You know, <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of cartoons, but this one was just too appropriate for me not to share it. Peanut had his foot in a cast. And this is the way the cartoon read. My body blames my foot for not being able to go places. My foot says it was my head's fault. And my head blamed my eyes. My eyes say my feet are clumsy. And my right foot says not to blame him for what my left foot did. And then he turns, then he turns towards the audience, you know, on the, on the cartoon. And he, he says, I don't say anything because I don't want to get involved. <laughs> and the reality is, friends... We laugh at this and we think it's humorous. But it's not humorous when it's real in the body, is it? It's not humorous when it's real in the body. This is not the way we think because we know when we stubbed our foot, we don't blame that toe. We, we know we're all part of the body. But in the church, we act like peanut. Right? You can't stay out of it. You've got to love, and you've got to give, and you've got to suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice, because we're all part of the body of Christ. Verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 27. Notice what, what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 27. Now you are members of the body of Christ, our scripture today. You are, you are, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Oh, wouldn't you want that to be the experience that we have here in Dalton? That we are one body, where we actually rejoice with those who rejoice, suffer with those who suffer. That's what I want. And, and you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful in many ways. That's what we have. I'm very thankful. I'm not saying that, that God hasn't blessed this church family. Not at all. But we all can grow up into all things into the head which is Christ, right? There's room for us even us, to grow. I was reading the story of a gentleman by the name of Charles Plum. And Charles Plum was a U.S. Naval Academy graduate who was a jet fighter in Vietnam. And he survived successfully 75 combat missions flying as a pilot in Vietnam when on his last mission his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. And Plum ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured, and there in Vietnam, he spent uh, six years in a communist prisoner of war detention camp. Um, those were not good years. He survived, 
and now lectures about the lessons he'd learned from that experience. He is a Christian. One day, Plum was sitting in a restaurant with his wife, and um, as he was enjoying his quiet meal, a man at another table kept looking at him, and finally that man got up and he walked over to where Plum was seated, and he said, you're Plum, aren't you? You're Plum. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down in combat, weren't you? And Plum was quite astonished, you know. He didn't expect to be recognized or anyone would know his story. And he said, well, yes, I am Plum. And I was shot down. I did fly off the Kitty Hawk. But how did you know? How do you know who I am? And very simply, the man replied, I packed your parachute. Plum stood up and grasped his hand and pumped it in gratitude, and, and the, the man said, well, I guess it worked, didn't it? Plum said, if, you, if it hadn't have worked, I wouldn't be here today. And he thanked the man profusely and was so happy to have had a chance to meet him, but as Plum went home and went to bed that night, he couldn't sleep. The memories from Vietnam kept replaying in his mind, and particularly his experiences on Kitty Hawk. And he kept wondering what that man now aged with years would have looked like as a young sailor. He tried to remember if he ever saw him. What would he have looked like in a, a Navy, Navy hat and a bib and his uniform? He wondered how many times he might have passed him on the deck of the Kitty Hawk and not realized who he was or how important he was or would be to his future. He wondered how many times he might have passed him and not even stopped to say good morning because he was a fighter pilot. And this gentleman was just an ordinary sailor. Then Plum began thinking of all the long hours the ordinary sailors spent down in the bowels of the ship on a wooden table folding a parachute carefully, with detail, with attention, and how those insignificant tasks that didn't get recognized were important to his very existence, his survival. And so we ask today, what about in the church? You know there are parachute folders in the church today? There are people that are doing very, very important tasks. They usually don't get recognized. They're not up front. Their names aren't even in the bulletin. But we all need each other. And when we get to the kingdom, I suspect we're going to look back on the panorama of history that God can reveal to us then, and I suspect we're going to learn that if it hadn't been for that brother, that sister, even the annoying circumstances perhaps that we went through them with them, if it hadn't been for us as a body, perhaps we wouldn't be there at all. Because God uses us to help each other grow, 
to become the full stature of our head, to grow up into the will, wisdom and the stature of Jesus Christ. So we need to appreciate one another, amen? We need to thank those who might be doing insignificant tasks. We need to have the humility to suffer with those who suffer and to rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm thankful to be a part of that body, aren't you? I'm thankful God has placed us in relationships. And I'm thankful for each one of you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we're just so grateful for your infinite wisdom placing us in connection with people. And Lord, we're, we're all imperfect people, so we sometimes, we sometimes find each other's flaws. And yet, Father, you have a purpose, you have a reason for doing this. It's for our own good, so that we can learn to appreciate what you have done for us more. Lord, I pray that you would keep our eyes on Jesus, that you would help us as part of his body to marvel in the mystery that he wants to be one with us, not just, not just our elder brother, not just a close family member, but he, he wants us to be a very part of his body. Lord, help us to treat others the way you have treated us. Forgive us, forgive me for where I failed. Help us to grow. And we thank you in the one who is our head, even in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.